The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 1030, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. My son is two years old. His name is Nehemiah, and um, he is a tough little guy. He loves to run everywhere. He just loves to run for all he's worth. He loves to run into things. He is impervious to pain, okay, which is good because he runs into things all the time, okay, runs into me. And he recently said something to me that I wanted to share with you. He was, he was running, I mean, with all that he had. In fact, we were right here in this room. He was running down this aisle right here, and he was running with all he had. Now, he had these Crocs on his feet, and they were these little Lightning McQueen Crocs. He's a huge Lightning McQueen fan, okay? And he's wearing these, and they're probably like maybe one size too big, but he's wearing these, and he's running um, down or around as fast as he can. And because the shoes are just a little bit too big, every about 20 feet face plant. And so the first time this happens, I was like going to go over and, and check on him, but he just pops up and takes off running again for all that he's got. And so, but every 20 feet, it's like another face plant, another face plant. And finally, I'm getting like a little worried about him. I'm about to start like concussion protocol with him, okay? And so I go over him and I kind of, and finally for like the fifth time, I like pick him up and he's standing there. I'm like, I'm down on a knee and I'm looking at him right in his eyes and I say, buddy, are you okay? And he just kind of raises himself up like this and he looks me right in the eye and he says, no. I am speed. (laughs) Takes off running again. Now I'm left there. I was just kind of sitting there after he ran. I'm like, that's a pretty bold statement for him to make, okay? Like I'm pretty sure he doesn't have the breadth of knowledge or experience to make the claim that despite all of the very fast and quick people in the world, he personally, apparently, defines and embodies the concept of speed itself. That's a pretty bold statement. And what kind of made it especially interesting is if you can imagine a toddler running really fast, they don't run like sprinters, right? Their arms are like this the entire time they're running, okay? It's just, it's, they're like careening at any point. They're just going to wipe out, all right? And, and so he takes off running, but apparently he embodies the concept of speed. It's something I learned a couple weeks ago. Now, when you make a statement and you construct it grammatically like that, it is a huge statement. Like, if you were to pull your buddy aside and say, hey, man, um, do you play ping pong? And he says, I am ping pong. <laughs> he better have some serious game that he's about to bring, right? That's a, he's saying, I set the standard for ping pong, define the sport itself, okay? That's a huge statement. Now, I tell you this because in the part of the Bible we're going to look at, Jesus makes a bold statement, a claim that is so brazen, it's so bold, you have to see this. And especially before we go into this Christmas season, you've got to have this rattling around in your brain. We're going to look at a part of the Bible, the very end of the Bible, the last book of the Bible, it's called Revelation. And if you have a Bible or Bible app, open to Revelation Chapter 1, we are going to look at verse 9. Revelation 1, verse 9. 
It's also going to be up here on the screens. Revelation 1.9, here's what it says. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. Now pause with me right there. John is about to have a vision of Jesus, and Jesus is going to tell him to write this message down, what he sees, and send it out to these seven churches, and that's what the next few chapters in the book of Revelation is. But I want you to put yourself in the room there with John, okay? This is John, the famous John that journeyed with Jesus when Jesus was doing his ministry bodily here on earth. That was several decades before this moment. This is a late, most likely late in the first century. John is a much older man at this point. Probably at this point, all of the other 11 disciples have already passed away. John's probably the only one of the original 12 that's still alive. He says he's on Patmos. He says he's there on account of the word of God, on account of his testimony about Jesus. In other words, he was banished there to Patmos, we believe. He was banished there because he was so bold in preaching about Jesus. He's there, and it's Sunday, it's the Lord's Day, and he says he hears a voice behind him. Okay, now I want you to put yourself there. Have you ever had that moment when you're in a room kind of minding your own business, maybe you're washing the dishes, you're paying the bills, you're reading a book, and someone comes in the room behind you and just simply says, hey man, how you doing? But it scares the daylights out of you. Okay, you've had that happen? Okay, This is what happens to John. There's a voice behind him, okay? But I want you to see what he says. It's a loud voice like a trumpet. That would have really startled him. I mean, he twirls around probably to see who's standing behind him, who's got a voice loud like a trumpet. Okay, now he's going to next describe what he saw. But we've got to do a little groundwork here before we see this description of Jesus he's about to describe. Because if you're like me, I've seen a lot of like paintings of Jesus. I've seen Jesus depicted in movies and even in little cartoon movies. All right. And before you, we read this together and break this apart, you've got to flush out every image of Jesus you've seen before. Okay, let me give you an example. In the 1950s, there was a man who bought a copy of a Da Vinci painting. And this copy was a picture of Jesus. It was very famous. It was a picture of, of that Leonardo da Vinci did of Jesus. He bought this copy for something like, it wasn't even 60 bucks. And he had it in his house. 
And for the next couple decades, he, he had this there, and he, he just liked this picture. Well, one day, he sends it out to get it professionally cleaned. So he sends it to um, an, an expert who cleans paintings like this. And as they're cleaning this painting, they realize that this is not a copy of the Leonardo da Vinci painting. They realize that all this time, this man has owned the original Leonardo da Vinci painting, which he had purchased, I remind you, for less than $60. Here's a, a, what this painting looked like. Here's a picture of it. He had had this painting sitting in his house that Leonardo da Vinci actually had painted. He sold it. It gets sold a couple times, and just a couple weeks ago at Christie's in Manhattan, they, sell, they sold this painting. It shattered international records for the most expensive single painting purchase. This painting was sold for over $450 million. Now, I want you to think about this painting because from a historical perspective, this is unbelievable. Like if there is such a thing as a priceless work of art, this might be it. You, you know of the Mona Lisa painting by da Vinci. There are not that many known paintings out there by Leonardo da Vinci. And so when this surfaced as one of the originals, this became priceless. I mean, imagine standing there by that canvas realizing that da Vinci himself had touched that canvas. I mean, historically unbelievable. Now, theologically, I've got some issues with this painting. First of all, Jesus was not a fair-skinned European man. He was Middle Eastern, okay? He did, did not, would not have looked like this, okay? And the other thing that this painting has, and several, I mean, I don't know how else to put this, but most ancient pictures of Jesus, I don't know how else to say it, he just looks kind of like a sissy. You know what I'm saying? He just kind of looks like a sissy, okay? And so before you, you hear what Jesus looks like in here, you've got to just flush out every depiction of Jesus that you've seen. Let's just kind of get a fresh description of what Jesus looked like. Check this out. This is what John saw when he turned around. Because here's the difference. When someone walks in behind you and scares you, you turn around and say, oh, it's just you. You scared me. Don't do that. John was terrified by a loud voice like a trumpet. But when he turns around, what he sees is even more terrifying. Look at what he says. Verse 12. <clears throat> Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face 
was like the sun shining in full strength. Okay. You're washing dishes one day. And that walks in behind you. Let's review a little bit. He says his eyes were so intense, so fiery, so furious, so penetrating. His eyes were like flames. He said, but it wasn't just his eyes that were just shining like that. He says his face shone like the sun. Okay, do you remember a couple months ago there was that eclipse? Do you remember that eclipse? Did anyone get those, those special glasses that they told you to wear? You remember those glasses? And those glasses, like, they're so tinted that you couldn't see anything until you actually looked in the sky and you saw this little disc that was the sun, okay? And they pleaded with us for weeks leading up to the eclipse, please do not look directly at the sun because you'll have permanent eye damage, okay? They say that if you look directly at the sun for more than a minute and a half, like if you could even do that and look directly at the sun with your naked eye for over a minute and a half, you would have permanent eye damage. And remember, the sun is 93 million miles away. It didn't just walk into the room behind you. And what he says is his face was shining like the sun at its full capacity. He says he's, he, he's got to mean more than just his face was really bright. Like he's got to mean more than that because he could pick out details of his face. He could pick out what his eyes were like and, and it was like a sword coming out of his mouth. He could see features on his face. So it's got to mean more than his face was just overwhelmingly bright. He's pulling, he's, he's giving a, trying to describe something he literally saw but it was so otherworldly. He's pulling from descriptions as best he could to describe what he's seeing. It was the glory and the brilliance of the face of Jesus was so intimidating he couldn't possibly dare to look him in the face. But that's not the only thing that was shining. It says even his feet was, it says, was like burnished bronze in a furnace. Okay, now if in your mind you're thinking, okay, bronze, it's kind of this goldish color and, and I don't know, maybe you put it in the furnace and it gets like glowing red. That's not what bronze looks like in the furnace. Let me show you this picture. This is a bronze foundry, and they're pouring out bronze right there. That what looks like liquid fire, that is liquid bronze that has been in the furnace, and you can see the suits that they're wearing. You can't look directly at bronze in the furnace. It's glowing so white hot. He says that's what his feet look like. And then he says this, and I want to sit on this for a second. He said his voice was like rushing water. Now, I want to play a, a couple audio clips here because I think probably you in your mind, if you're thinking about rushing water, you may be envisioning this. Go ahead and play that first sound clip. That's nice. 
That's nice. Some, does anyone say, I fall asleep to that noise, like on a little noisemaker? Anyone say, like, that's me, I fall asleep? A couple of you? Yeah. Anyone say, I just have to go to the bathroom now? That's just what, that's what I hear. Okay, you know you were thinking it, okay? I'm just saying it, okay? All right, if that's what you're thinking, you're saying, okay, his voice was like, like rushing water, and you're thinking, I'll, I'll go to this beautiful brook in a serene forest. That's not what he just said. He says, it's like the roar of many waters. You've got to go to the foot of Niagara Falls or Horseshoe Falls or Victoria Falls and hear it thunder and roaring, the type of roaring that rumbles through your body as tens of thousands of gallons of water pour over the side and just crash and pummel the rocks beneath. Okay, can I play you another audio clip? You don't seem like you're ready for this, okay? Can I play you another audio clip? Okay, play number two, play the second one. And I want you to imagine his voice. He's saying his voice. Did you fear, feel that in your chest cavity? He's saying his voice was like that. Man, what could that possibly mean? His voice was so strong, it rumbles through him. It's just consuming all around him, absorbing him just by his voice. Okay, can you imagine how unbelievably intimidating this one whose face shining like the sun, eyes furious like flames of fire, his feet are so bright he can't even look at his feet, and his voice is thundering through him. I almost wonder if he's meaning his voice was like getting stabbed by a sword. It was so penetrating. That's how he's describing Jesus. Now look what his reaction was, verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though, what's that word there? As though dead. Not a metaphor. He said, I literally was scared to death. That was invented, that phrase, for moments like this. He literally felt like this is the end and falls down on the ground prepared for, his, for the end of his life. Okay, don't read past this too quickly because remember who we're talking about here. We're talking about John. John's nickname, one of his nicknames is the beloved disciple because he was so close to Jesus when Jesus was doing his ministry bodily on the earth. He was so close to Jesus. He had this close friendship with him. He was in the inner circle. In fact, remember, if you remember the story, he actually saw Jesus in a form like this at one point in Jesus' ministry. At one point, Jesus takes the inner circle, Peter, James, and this guy, John, up on a mountain, and it says he transfigures before him. In other words, his physical human form gives way to what it's concealing. And it's a form like this. And it uses similar language. It says his face shone like the sun. It was Jesus in all his glory. John saw this, has seen something like this before. And it says something similar. Peter, James, and John fall on their faces terrified. And in this time, John, several decades later, knows Jesus 
intimate follower of Christ has seen Jesus like this, I want you to see what it does not say. It doesn't say, John turns around and says, oh, it's just you, Jesus. You're doing that thing that you do sometimes. Don't worry. He gets all bright like this and you can't even look at him. Okay, don't worry about it. I've seen it before. That's not what he says. It says he falls down like a dead man. There's something intrinsic in seeing Jesus in all his glory that would make any human feel like they are dying. What is that? Look at what he says. Look at verse 17 again. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. Listen to what happens and, and hear Jesus' words. The first thing that happens is that Jesus comes up to John and he lays his right hand on him. That's strategic. That's not a random detail. The right hand is symbolic, a symbol of favor and acceptance, okay? Have you ever heard the phrase, oh yeah, he's his right-hand man? Have you ever heard someone say, oh yeah, he's his left-hand man? You've never heard that before. Why? The right hand, it's a symbol, a symbol of favor and acceptance. It's no accident that he places his right hand on John. In all of this terrifying appearance, he's saying, it's okay, you're with me. He says, fear not. And then he says this incredible phrase, I am the first and the last. In other words, I am the one who defines the concept of first and the concept of last. I am the alpha and the omega. He is declaring he is God. I am the first and the last. He is the eternal one, the son of God who's existed for all time. He is the eternal one. In fact, he is God through whom everything is made. It says through Jesus, all things hold together. Why is John on his face like he's about to die? It's because the being that's standing before him is literally the being that is holding the cells of his body together. Can you imagine how intimidating that would be? To stand in front of the one that if they just let go, you disintegrate? That your existence is held together because he's holding you together? Can you imagine how raw and, and intimidating that would be for your soul? John is at his, on his face. He can't even look at his feet. He says, I am the first and last. And then he says something else even more bold. He says, I am the living one. He's not saying I define the concept of speed. He's not saying I define the concept of ping pong. He's saying I define the concept of being alive. The living one. 
He's saying, you, you think you're alive, I define and embody the concept. Wait a minute, Jesus. Are you saying you're somehow more alive than I am? That's exactly what he's saying. He is the living one. He defines life itself. And he says, well, how can Jesus define life itself? Here's what he says. I was dead, and then he says, behold. He's saying, look, check this out. Stop and gaze at this. He says, I was dead, but behold, I am alive. Do you realize what the scriptures declare about Jesus? It's not that he was just a good moral religious teacher. He was a being, the son of God who came to earth and in human form who actually died on the cross to pay for our sins. He gave his life as was his intention. And then he did what no other human has ever done. Every human will one day walk through death's door. Jesus walks through death's door. And even though that is an entrance only for all of us, Jesus came back out alive forever. He wasn't resuscitated for a time and then eventually died again. He walks through death's door and comes back out alive. And notice what he says next. He says, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. It's not just like, whew, man, that was a close one. Man, death is a really good foe, but, you know, I just beat him just by a little bit. Good luck with that. He says, I defeated death and I hold the keys. There's only one set. Death did not make him a spare set of keys. It's great having you here, Jesus. Come back anytime you want. They're not spare keys. They are the keys. If Jesus holds the keys, he has control and authority even over death itself. Is that good news for anybody? He holds the keys themselves. In other words, here's what he's saying. He's saying, I define life, but it's not just like, hey, I'm the ultimate good guy and let's all fight the bad guy. He's saying, I define life and defeated death. I have a reign over all of it. I hold the keys. I am the living one. And he comes to John and says, don't fear, you're with me. All right, now let's have a conversation here for a second. Why does he have to do this with John? He literally scares the poor man who's probably in his 80s or 90s. He scares the man to death. Why? Does he need to like get a little more buy-in with John? He's given his life to Jesus. He's been banished for Jesus. He's on, he's being, um, he's on Patmos for Jesus. He's suffered for Jesus. He's, he doesn't need any more buy-in from John. Why does he do this? Listen to this next verse. I want to read this one last verse, verse 19. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen those that are and those that are to take place after this. He says, I need you, in other words, to see this and hear what I'm about to say because you need to write this down and proclaim it. Remember what he said at the very beginning, the first voice? He says, write this down and proclaim it to the people I tell you to. This is a commissioning. 
He's sending John on a mission. And though he knows he has John's buy-in, there's something inherent in the content of what he's sharing that he needs to remind John who he is in all his glory. He is the living one, defines life and defeated death. He needs him to have that fresh on his mind as he's proclaiming this content. And secondly, whatever he's about to proclaim requires such boldness that he needs to be reminded he has nothing to fear because the living one says, you're with me. What could you possibly have to fear? Christian, Before we go into this Christmas season and you put a a little nativity decoration in your house and probably an inflatable one on your lawn out front, okay? Before you have a tiny little baby Jesus ornament that you hang on your tree or you watch a cartoon nativity movie with your kids, all of which are great things, but before you do that, can you stop and reimagine who it is that that little infantile form is concealing. It's the living one concealed in that helpless baby, in that little wriggling baby with his arms held in because he's swaddled. Can't even get his arms out of the swaddling cloth in that little baby that can't even lift his head off of the hay in the manger, in that baby that can't feed himself, burp himself, and has to have his diapers changed. Inside that little baby is the living one who defines all of life and has defeated death itself. In fact, that's what that baby is here to accomplish. Do you realize who that baby is? We're not just gathering in a stable saying, what a cute baby. We're saying, this is the most unbelievable moment in the history of the universe. How could the living one be confined in that helpless baby in a manger? And what an amazing story that that living one has has condescended himself to come and to defeat death for us. Church, fundamental to your worship this Christmas season is that you are called, just like John, to proclaim a message. That's part of Christmas worship. Every angel decoration you see, do you know what they were doing? Do you know why they're around at Christmas time? They're messengers declaring. Every shepherd you see depicted around a manger with sheep. Do you know what they did after they saw Jesus? They left there and told everyone they saw. Fundamental to your Christmas worship is that you are being commissioned to go and tell the message that the living one came here to save us for all eternity, to defeat death itself. That is your calling. And Christian, church, as you think about this city, our city, our community, 
that does not know this message, we have to in full force at this time of year when their hearts are stirred to wonder about what this message is, we have to take this message out boldly. Here's what I want to share with you today. I want to tell you four simple, practical ways that you are going to be challenged over the next few weeks to boldly and urgently share this message. Here's what our our goal is. We've crafted this series so that to show how Christmas meets us wherever we're at. And it's a series that's going to impact us. But anyone from our hurting community that comes in here will understand how the message of Christmas transformed them. Our goal is to go out sharing this message and drawing people, inviting people in to what the scripture calls the church, the body of Christ, so that all of the gifts, all of the people who are greeting and welcoming and setting up the environment and singing and delivering the message and and, and ministering to kids and students, all of these parts of the body are ministering to our community so that they can know what this message is. I want to give you four. They're very simple. We're going to have fun with this with our South Florida Christmas. And I will give you four practical ways. Please write these down. These are the four ways you're going to be challenged to to proclaim this message these next few weeks. The first one is instead of regular invite cards, we're going to provide you with postcards this year. They're a takeoff of a play off of our uh, Merry Christmas in South Florida, from South Florida. And so um, we want you to take these postcards. You can mail them or personally hand them out. But instead of just giving a card, we want you to write a personal note to that friend, that family member, that neighbor. Write a personal note. Just say, hey, thinking about your Christmas time, appreciate you, glad that you're in my life. And I hope you know you're always welcome to join me and my family at our church. We'd love to have you write that note. You can put that in the mail. If there's someone that lives um, far away, a family member, they can join us uh, online and they can can join the Christmas service online. If it's someone local, maybe it'd be nice for them to get a card in the mail or maybe you can hand it to them. Maybe right there at the restaurant, you write a little note quickly to your server and you leave it for your server. Maybe you take, uh, write a little note to your kids' teachers and you give them each one and just say, hey, no pressure, but I hope you know you are always welcome at our church. We'd love to have you there and we'd love to welcome you in. Maybe you write a quick note and you, you give it to a, a neighbor. We, we want to be more proactive this year in writing notes and welcoming people into our midst so that they can hear this message about the living one and what he's come to do. That's the first one. You're going to have those available starting next week. Here's the second one. We're going to have some fun with this. We are challenging you to flamingle your yard. In honor of our South Florida Christmas, we are going to provide next week a kit. And inside is a plastic pink flamingo with a Santa hat on it. It's got a sign that's got a URL that's going to go live next week that talks about our Christmas services. Your challenge is to put it in a prominent part in your yard so that you can mingle with your neighbors. Here's here's what we're envisioning, that there's so many of these throughout our neighborhoods that people are like, what are these flamingos that I keep seeing everywhere? And so someone comes up and says, what's with the flamingo? And you say, I'm so glad you asked. Our church is doing this thing, it's for the whole family, and man, I'd love for you to, to come and join us, and here's the service that my, my family goes to, and uh, we'll come a little early, we'll, we'll meet you there, and, and there's more information on this, on this website. So we want pink flamingos 
dotting all of South Florida. You can pick those up starting next week. There's a whole kit. You can put those together and put that in your yard. That's number two. The number, th- number three is when you come in these next couple weeks, there's going to be photo spots. And this is how you can spread the message and invite people in on social media. There's going to be photo spots that are going to be set up. You can go take a picture with you, your family, your friends, and then you can post that online as a way to spread that out even farther. You can invite people to watch online or invite people to come. And then the fourth one is one that you can do this week is, as Pastor Justin mentioned, we have already released the trailer for the new series. You can this afternoon repost that on social media, get the dialogue going with friends on social media about uh, what we're doing this Christmas and how Christmas is going to meet us right where we're at. Now, when you hear this, we're going to have fun. These are very simple steps, but don't miss the gravity of what you're doing. They're simple and they're fun, but the gravity is immense. We're following in the tradition of our Christian forefathers throughout all of history that have taken special emphasis to proclaim and herald that that baby is concealing the living one that defines life and defeated death itself. You say, okay, I'll do that. I'll do those four things. I'll invite with boldness and urgency. But what else can I do? If you're looking for something else that you can do, we have tons of serving opportunities this next month. You can take out your connection card and just write Christmas on it. There's all kinds of ways throughout the week, opportunities for you to serve, and you can write Christmas. You'll be contacted. Just put that in one of the offering boxes. But you might say, look, okay, man, I'll do some of those things, but man, that pushes me outside my comfort zone. This is why you need to see what is being displayed to you in this passage. The living one is saying, church, proclaim this message with all that you've got. Here's the ideal situation. You write a postcard, you get in a conversation over a flamingo in your front yard, start a conversation on Facebook, and a friend says, okay, maybe I'll go, yeah, I'm interested. The day before your family comes to one of the Christmas services, you send them a text message. Hey, um, I'm going to get here a little early uh, tomorrow. This is, this is the service we're going to. I'd love for you to come. They may be a little noncommittal at first, but maybe they just show up. Maybe, just maybe they show up. You sit with them. Afterwards, you walk out and say, hey, so let's go grab coffee. What would you think? You want to come to dinner with, with my family? I'd just love to hear your thoughts and watch what the Holy Spirit does through each one of us. See, when you send one of those postcards, you know that's not a cold call, right? The living one is saying, I'm with you. He's already been working on that person. You might never know. They might, they might never reveal how God's been working on them. But when they get that postcard, that invitation, that see that post, you realize he's already been working on them. He just wants to include you in this great work. See, here is what it's, is at stake, church. We looked at the beginning of Revelation. Can I just read you a couple verses at the very end of the whole story? It's the second to last chapter in Revelation 21. Can I read to you what the whole end of everything looks like? This is what it says. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, 
the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Listen, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Church, do you not long for that day? That day when one day we're no longer engaging God just through faith. He's here presently with us, dwelling with us. And he says, at that day, one day, every tear will be wiped away from every eye. He says, on that day, there'll be no more pain. There'll be no more mourning. He says, death itself, which has been defeated, death itself will be no more. He's saying, behold, I will make all things new. Church, do you know that's where all of this is going? And it's all because of this living one in the form of a baby who came to define life and defeat death itself. That's where all this is going. But church, look out at your city. Do you see any tears? Do you see the pain of our city? Do you see the mourning that's happening in our city? Do you see the death that that those in our midst are staring at? And can you see their longing for the day when all of that passes away? Our community, our city needs to hear this message. And, And one day that will come. But in the meantime, don't miss what Jesus taught us to pray. He says, Father, your kingdom come, your your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May what will one day be true in heaven, may we begin to see that take root here. So that while one day we will see all of those things pass away, may we be a part of tipping the scales and seeing that work start here. And that when we look on our city, on South Florida, may we say, we are not gonna stand by with all of the pain and mourning and grief and tears and death and do nothing. We are going to proclaim with all that we have, with the urgency and boldness, knowing that the living one says, I am behind you, I am with you. With all of that fearless boldness, we are gonna proclaim the message of Jesus. And there's no season to do that like this season. So church, it's game time. It's full throttle. Don't mistake these simple things for things that lack gravity. God wants to do a work in our midst. And I know I want to be a part of that. But there may be some of you that are here saying, you say death will be no more, but I, if I'm honest, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen one day when I die. I wish I could know for sure. I'd want to believe in heaven. Well, if that's where you're at, you've got to hear this, the message that Jesus said. He died on the cross to pay for your sins, and he holds the keys. He defeated death for you. If you're with him, say, I'm for you. He defeated death for you. 
That means that, the, that if you put your faith in Jesus, you follow Jesus, that means the moment you close your eyes for that last time, you awake in your, the life that you were meant for in heaven for eternity. And you can know that beyond a doubt. You can put your faith in Jesus and seal that once and for all today. If you want to take that step, I want to lead you in a simple prayer where you put your faith in Jesus. Would everyone bow your heads and close your eyes with me? If that's you, then just right there where you're at, in your heart, between you and God, make these words your words to God. Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth to save. Thank you for loving me that much that you're willing to die but also rise again from the dead and that that applies to me. I recognize that you're my savior. It's only through you that I can find hope for eternity. I give you my life and I want to follow after you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak with somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321. Or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.